Shift. Oh uh, God! I mean, we got the whole grant three weeks ago. Yeah, we should point out. Uh, but by the way, uh, before we get into it, my name's Matt. That's Andy. This is probably science. I uh, just uh, does everyone who give me a cheer if you've listened to the show before. That's great. Oh my okay, God. Give me a cheer if you have been dragged along by someone. It's <laughs> way too big of a number. All right, all right. So yeah, this whole thing came together thanks to the Australian Society for Parasitology. And, Obviously, and clearly. <laughs> And inspiring Australia, so we're very grateful to them for letting us come down here. I can't believe that everybody yeah. in this room is coming to see this thing we do in my bedroom. I'm sorry. My, my, there were a few times we did it in my bedroom, I forgot, remember? There have been a couple of occasions in Andy's old house where we yeah. recorded this. Yeah. Back when he used to back when Andy used to live with three well, two to three strange people. Three uh, strange people. And sometimes, and yeah, there wasn't really any kind of common area that was accessible, so we would just record uh, outside. But then sometimes it was not nice to record outside, so we just had to kind of huddle around Andy's bed. I think you're forgetting there were also times when my landlord, who was a uh, shyster songwriting consultant, would also just come over and commandeer the house we're renting from him and have yes. songwriting sessions in the backyard so we had to go into my bedroom. I, I wasn't even aware that was what was going on. Yeah. What is, what is, what is a songwriting consultant? He doesn't, he doesn't play a single instrument. All he does is people play their CDs for him on my stereo. <laughs> that was my stereo he would use, and then he would just give them notes of their songs. I didn't know that. Does he, like, get brought in to, like, fly into a song and lay off some of the musicians or something? Like, how was it? It was the weirdest. I, I, listeners who've been with us for a while know that there was also a uh, former soap opera actor who was just drinking himself to death in the pool house, and one morning, Jesse, our other <laughs> erstwhile host, co-host, uh, found him passed out in the front yard next to his car, which was just off the side of the highway, off the side of the driveway. It's been a long trip. Uh, <laughs> and it was the day after St. Patty's Day, and he came to as Jesse walked by and said, Ho, 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 young Jesse! <laughs> That's the wrong holiday altogether. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we got, we got these grants that enabled us to come out here very last minute, and then even more last minute got the visa that let us come out here. That was down to the wire, man. Yeah. That was scary. And then even more last minute, found this room that let us do the show in it, that it then turned out doesn't have enough microphones for a four-person podcast. <laughs> so, in the middle... <laughs> in yeah. the middle of, I'm, I'm guessing, an a unseasonable uh, torrential downpour, considering it's the... <laughs> middle of summer right now, um, we had to run downtown to the Australian equivalent of Best Buy and buy the microphones you're seeing us hold right now. <laughs> and then run through the rain to get an Uber, and the only upside I can think of is my shirt was super wrinkly, but it was drenched, and it gets the wrinkles out that way, so it was more professional. It does, there's a little wrinkly still on the side there where you were holding the bag. True, true. So, uh, <laughs> it's been a trip. Hey, yes. We went to the zoo today. The, the wildlife park, the, the one down down in Darling Harbour by 
next to man and two swords. You know where all the good what? stuff is. The real science. The real Our friend science. Emma Malik, who's also a comic, uh, does shit down there, took us round, uh, filmed something with us, shot stick insects on our heads. Uh, that'll be coming out in a few days. Yeah, one of them took a liking to your lips. It was like tearing at your mouth. What can I say? <laughs> I, I have a fair... I don't know, apparently my mouth is very attractive to stick insects. We got to meet some koalas. We didn't touch them because only certain states allow that here, which is uh, very bizarre. Why yeah, you were originally... in New Queensland. For some reason... That's a, surely you either can touch them or you can't. Like, either it's a good thing to touch them or it's a bad thing to touch them, Queensland, rather than just, just like... Don't give a fuck. Right, Queensland, they're just like, well, we, we need the tourists, so... Uh, uh, we learned something today. Everyone talks about the chlamydia thing, and yes, they do all have it, but... They will, they will have chlamydia, we found this out, but... Only in their pouches. So it's, no, it's true, it's true. It's not like it's everywhere, so yeah. as long as you don't go rooting around their pouches, either by the British or American definition of rooting, um, it should be fine. But that means fucking, right? In Australia. Okay. Also, want to make sure we did offend the one ten-year-old in the audience. We got, a, we got an email today asking if it's okay if a ten-year-old who also listens to the podcast comes, and I was like, well, if you listen to the podcast, knows then, you, then you're already a bad parent. So. <laughs> Make it any worse. Like, oh, is it okay if we give him his 30th drink? <laughs> yeah, so yeah, it's only in the pouch, and apparently it's a different kind of chlamydia, so it can't pass from koala to person. That's really so, but I guess a human could pass it from koala to koala. <laughs> So, so be monogamous with your koalas. Yeah, I think that's what it is. If you're getting all up in a koala's pouch, rinse off before you get in the next one. <laughs> I feel like we crossed the line for adult listeners. <laughs> yeah, so this has been our, we've been on our little sciencey tour. So we start off in Cairns, where everything can kill you. And uh, that's where that's where all the tropical the parasitology people are based. That's where we had this shelf of death, thanks to Dr. Michael Smout, who arranged the grant for us. He showed us all kinds of jellyfish that will kill you. As listeners at home will have already heard us talk about it in the last episode, uh, but what they didn't hear is that then we went to Perth, where uh, the Fringe Festival can kill you. And it was just <laughs> non-stop drinking and then trying to get four hours of sleep on a couch. I went to bed early. I don't know what you were playing out there, Andy. I, I care about our listeners and was professional. So... <laughs> But yeah, Perth was beautiful. We saw some quokkas. I think we've seen every um, unique marsupial to this continent. Is that cocky to say? That it's... <laughs> yeah, it's pretty arrogant. Mr. <laughs> oh, look at me. I've seen all of the species. Can you count them on both hands? Are there... So, someone in the audience just said, can you count them on both hands? And Are wombats marsupials also? Yep. Yeah. Okay, we got wombat, marsupial, kangaroo, those things with the rings and the tails that are kind of like kangaroos. Ring-tailed Sure. Ring-tailed possums, all right. We did wallabies. There was a platypus of the zoo today. Echidna, is that? That's a monitoring as well. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's a monitoring. We've definitely got scientists in the audience right now, haven't we? Who here is a scientist of some ilk? I love the fact that we said by round of applause and four people raised their hands. That's a great science. That's a great science. Whatever field you're in, it's my favorite field of science. 
guess we should just pick. Uh, okay, let's do a show of hands. Scientists again in the audience. Can I ask a couple people? What is your specialty, sir? Physics. We got a physicist. Physicist behind the physicist. Medical. Medical. Environmental. Environmental. Who else? Psychology. Psychology. Yeah, I don't know about that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, we love psychology. Come on. Um, who else? We won't go through all of you. But why do we love psychology? psychology? What's toxicology? Nanotoxicology. Nanotoxicology. Small poisonous things. If if we if we have time at the end of this episode, I kind of want to find out more about some of these things. Yeah. I mean, we'll be drinking. I'll be drinking. Matt will be chastising me for my habits, but uh, yeah, I'll be just glaring. <laughs> We're standing on the other side of the room, glaring. Uh, did, I did learn today, or maybe I was just re, it was reinforced that um, poisonous versus venomous. Poisonous refers to if you eat it, you die. Venomous, it bites you, you die. So yes. Snakes aren't poisonous. I mean, maybe, I don't know. Maybe snakes are poisonous if you eat them, but. I don't know. Do we have any experts in here who can tell us which? Two species. Two, two species. species you can't eat. I fucking love our audience. Of course <laughs> Normally, normally when we do the show, we have to wait a week for <laughs> someone to email in with a correction. Like, uh, you got this very wrong. But this is like we get it in real time, and it's lovely. So, well, there are two species of snake that are poisonous. As what, in? As in, if you eat them... What, what are those two species? I don't know the names, they eat mushrooms to make themselves poisonous. They eat mushrooms to make themselves poisonous. Oh, do they oh, also make your so... skin smooth in that case? Is it kind of like a Botox botulism <laughs> type? Those sneaky snakes. Uh, so yeah, it, it, this is all very last minute. We had guests drop out and guests appear, and, and we ended up with two awesome guests that I'm very happy about, and we've got a great comedian and a great scientist. And I want to bring our comic on first. Uh, because she's someone I haven't seen for a while. We worked out that we met in Edinburgh probably first years ago because she travels the world, but she's from out here. Uh, super funny comic. I hope you love her. We do. Please welcome Jen Carnavali. Hey, Jen. Hi. Hello. Good. Great. Hello. Meet a bunch of scientists and other people. I know. <laughs> Scientists and reluctant plus ones. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, I guess we'll go on the rainiest day of the year into... God, that was, by any standards, uh, a torrent. Oh, it was full on. But we're here and we're here. we got it through matter. it. We're dry. Are there scientists and then wannabe scientists here as well? Yeah, I was thinking there had to be a few people who were like, I'm a scientist in my own head. You know, like, <laughs> I don't need a piece of paper to tell me that I have to do it. So, you know. <laughs> Those guys. Well, that's the thing. We get all the fun. We get all the fun bits. We just get to chat about the articles that have come out. Like someone's someone's done three years of really hard and often quite dull work, and then written a paper, and then someone else has read that paper and written an article, and then we just get to read that article. <laughs> that's a great bracket. It comes to Australia. That's amazing. Don't tell me. <laughs> I, I, I still want to know, what is nanotoxicology? <laughs> so, not all things are toxic in the same way when they're at the nanoscale. So, mesothelioma is the classic example. When you inhale asbestos, that wouldn't just happen with a bulk material. It's the nanoscale structure of the crystal interacting with cells that causes it to be cancerous and toxic. Holy shit. <laughs> got out to white because I'm like, oh, we'll just repeat back what he says. Like, no, 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 no. That's not gonna... So as opposed to regular toxicology, which interacts with you in what way? What's the mechanism for that? That's not your specialty. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the nano shit. Yeah, you need a macro toxicologist for that. Right? <laughs> well, 
Solubility. 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 Okay. Sure. <laughs> I, that's my one takeaway from this that I'll be able to tell at parties now. I know, it's solubility. It's a... Yeah. Anyway, soluble cancer. Again, <laughs> that right? Is that how it works? Jed, we like to ask our guests this before we get it hard, more into the sciencey stuff. What, if anything, is your background in science? Oh. <laughs> um... I loved science when I was younger. When I was in high school, I was like, I'm going to be a scientist. And then my science teacher had taught my older sister, who she hated. So every day when I would come in, she would be like, Jen! And I was like, yes! She's like, sorry, sorry. I was like, that's okay. And then, like, surely enough, I'd be starting something and really excited, and she would Lisa Carnivale, get out! And I was like, oh, God. And that sort of ended a few interests that I had. So you inherited... A shitty teach. You inherited teaching. I inherited the rage from like seven years of teaching my older sister, who was a little shit to my science teacher. <laughs> so so that sort of yeah, well maybe, but it, it freaked me out a lot and sort of stunted in a few areas. Thanks, Mrs. Aerith. No, um, I I don't know. I I, I have a lot of interests, but I can't say that I'm able to tell you about soluble toxins I the ones I like are kind of wanky like I like cooking so I like gastro wait you just mumble the thing that isn't science because it's really embarrassing yeah exactly well I don't know I feel like you say gastro science is that no not gastro yeah gastro science I specialise um ask me how no um there is molecular gastro yeah I didn't want to say it because it sounds really yeah exactly as far as I can work out it's just spraying food with liquid nitrogen what happens. That's exactly what it is, but I'm so into it. I've blown things up. It's great. I love it. What have you blown up? A microwave a few times. <laughs> what did you put We've all been there. Yeah. What did you put in a microwave to blow up? Oh, it's happened a few times. I get distracted because I do get really excited about it and then I get ahead of myself and then things blow up. Like, I, I've got a burn on my arm because I just, I don't even know how I did it the other day cooking. So I guess it's a sign I shouldn't be a scientist, but I enjoy parts of science in not a safe way, really. Uh, there are, I remember, we talked about this on the show a while back, but I remember when I was a student, we got really into microwave tricks, because there's various <laughs> things you can do that are fun with my, like if you microwave soap, for example, it grows. And, and marshmallows get like five yeah, times huge. yeah soap just gets massive like if you put some soap in a microwave do that once your dad's not looking and, uh, and chip packets did you ever do it where it shrinks and then you make it into like a key ring or something I never got as far as the key ring see this is why I've blown up microwaves but that type of stuff it's so fun and, and the other one you can do is if you cut up cut up some grapes but you don't fully cut them up you leave a tiny bit of skin connect, cut it in half but leave a little bit of skin connecting the two hemispheres and then you put it cut side up in the microwave and zap it and sparks fly across the two bits. <laughs> and then just, um, I recommend tinfoil. Anybody at home? Tinfoil there. You'll love it. It's great. Cutlery. Yeah. CDs. Oh, yeah, sure. CDs are great as well. Yeah, CDs. A lit candle. What's that? A lit candle. What happens A lit candle. candle. Balls of plasma fly off of the flag. Yeah. Holy shit! So, oh, all right. All right. You want, my hotel room has a microwave. <laughs> I'm checking out of that one tomorrow morning. They'll check the mini bar. They're not going to check that. It's not gonna think. And that's not an appliance ruining thing. That's just a fun thing. Get scorch marks on the roof. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> we'll do that. All right. Live and learn. <laughs> microwave your candles, but don't blame us. 
We didn't tell you to do that. <laughs> Sounds um, awesome. What does your sister do now? She works as a um, educational and play therapy worker at Westmead Hospital. So she keeps children who are in the oncology um, unit on track with their education. Oh, we can't even be mean to her now. That's... <laughs> school life misery has stopped you from <laughs> getting any decent science teaching and now she I does know. the most worthy job in the world <laughs> literally yeah. improving the lives of kids with cancer yeah pretty much I know I can't be angry at her but yeah that sort of like scared me a lot but I mean I am interested in science but I feel like I'm not confident enough I'm like the fan where I was like who here wants to be a scientist like that's me where but in little things like I do my little experiments it's usually lame stuff I'm like an 80 year old woman gardening plants anything to do with the environment I can listen to for days on end you know I'm shit at gardening so I'm impressed anybody I've got that one plant that I keep trying to keep alive in my living room that we've been tracking bio with last year when we recorded oh no oh the big one and it's like a yucca plant it's it's like a desert plant that doesn't even need anything and I still can't keep it it's down to like the last four fronds. <laughs> I thought you put it outside for a bit. I put it outside in the hopes that I would, that would save it. But it also has to do with the angle of the sun because I only get a tiny bit of daylight certain times a year. And, uh, and you're playing the wrong music to that's it. True. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah. Telling it mean stories. I have impure thoughts around it. <laughs> Yeah, it's connected, I don't know if you know this, but yucca plants are connected to the owner's soul. (laughs) (laughs) The black around your soul, when the last leaf dies. Yeah, you know some of my chakras run away. We've talked about this. We have, yeah. yeah, If we have any shamans in the audience who can help me out afterwards with my chakras. Yeah, we have any shaman scientists. Someone in the audience just put his hand up. I'm guessing he's lying, but you never know. What? Is, is being a shaman like being an undercover cop where like if you ask someone they have to tell you no I, I think being a shaman is like the opposite of an undercover cop in that no matter what you ask them they will tell you <laughs> <laughs> should we get our scientists out I think it's about time we do that um, so th- this is actually a friend of the guys who helped us out in Perth and this is someone whose research and work we've mentioned on the show in the past which is the first, I believe. This is the first time we've mentioned someone's research in advance and then had someone who was involved in it on here. And this is also our first ever guest who is a winner of the Ig Nobel Prize. <laughs> that is the Ig Nobel Prize. Uh, please welcome Mr. Callum Ormond. Hey chaps, I'm doing great. Cheers, man. Thank you for Hello. joining us. Hello. Pleased to meet you, everyone. I think it's actually, I've got water in this glass and it's bad luck to cheers oh. with that, so uh, according That's to... frightfully yeah. British. Cheers, scientists. <laughs> uh, I'm sure we can fix that later, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so, let, let's get into this. Can you tell the audience what you won an Ig Nobel Prize for? <laughs> uh, so, the, the, the title that floats around in internet headlines is uh, that I managed to unboil an egg. So, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I, I, that's like molecular gastronomy. That. Right? <laughs> that's that's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, cooking, okay, cool, yeah. <laughs> the comedian's all about the cool back in the room. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. so uh, if, if anyone's familiar with day one physics, all of your uh, teachers used to tell you, like, you can do everything in physics because it obeys laws, but you, you can't unboil an egg. Uh, it's almost like an entropy sort of thing, right? It's... Uh, or yeah, we use it as a thought experiment. Well, let, let's go through it. So, what is so? Firstly, what happens when you boil an egg? Well, so uh, so eggs are made of protein, 
And uh, generally, when you uh, go through a process that we call denaturing protein, uh, we do that with heat or, or uh, acids and stuff like that, and the protein changes into a shape that can never come back from that. So we crack a liquid egg and we heat it up and it denatures, and it's pretty much bucket. It doesn't turn back from that. And that's this entropy thing that the physicist in the room might be able to explain. I'm not a physicist. I'm not that good. I'm sorry. Yeah, what, kind, what, what branch of physics, what flavor of physicist are you? <laughs> Cosmic radio astronomy. Yeah, so this is not helpful. <laughs> we're, we're dealing on a scale much, much smaller than this. This is the exact opposite of the scale that you work in. <laughs> So, yeah. Yeah, so, so you, when you cook an egg, you denature it, and it goes hard, and what happens is the strands in the protein tangle up. Uh, and if you imagine, like, a pearl necklace in a drawer, and it's a long string, and then you Kid, leave no. it in a drawer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my <laughs> I just don't think you should be having ideas about jewellery at this And so proteins get in knots, <laughs> and generally you can't untie them. But we managed a way that could untie those and actually return it back to the lovely string, avoiding that term again, um, that, uh, that, that you'd expect, yeah. So, so how, did, how did it happen? How did, like, what, because you didn't start off kind of setting out to unboil an egg, you started off with a different thing, right? Oh my god. What if you actually just got a real shit omelet one day delivered to your table and you're like, this, I, this can't be. I have to, I this needs to be redone. <laughs> just, just sitting there staring at it like, nah, I'm out. Yes. Just walk up like, mm. waiter, unboil this omelet and bring it back to me better boiled. <laughs> um, well, it, actually, it was, a, it was an accident. So, uh, it was actually a control experiment. So, I was actually setting out to make, um, uh, some drugs. So my research is in breast cancer, and I was actually looking at uh, trying to encapsulate some drugs for, for breast cancer. So we tossed in uh, egg white into this machine because it's a very cheap protein, and expected nothing to happen. And then we saw shit happened, <laughs> and freaked out a little bit, and went, "This doesn't make any sense." So what was the thing you saw that happened? Like, what so was, what was it meant to do, and what did it do? It was meant to, so, if you imagine a flat line, it was meant to be a flat line, and it curved, and that curve told us that the protein was folding, and what happens to proteins after they go hard is they shouldn't ever change from that, and the polite way of saying this is, at the time that I was doing this work, I was a reasonably lazy scientist. And uh, if, if you're working with proteins, when you make protein, you've got like five minutes to start doing experiments on it, which means you've got to book every machine to measure all of your tests one after the other and then be efficient at actually doing your experiment. I was none of that. Um, so I actually did all these experiments at about midnight when no one was at the university because I didn't have to work on other people's timelines. Yeah, science after dark. I know. <laughs> Sneaking in. Yeah. With your eggs. First robotic <laughs> Callum, are you bring eggs into the lab at midnight again? But yeah, so we, I was doing my experiments and uh, what was meant to be a control experiment that showed nothing started showing that these cooked 
proteins were unfolding. And getting that data that should be impossible, I freaked out at about midnight or so uh-huh. and had about eight hours until my supervisor came into work um, of me repeating the same experiment before anyone came in thinking that I'd broken a very expensive piece of machinery. How many times did you repeat it? Like, how many times you were like, no, this isn't right, I've got to do it again, I've got to do it again? As many times it would fit in the time before my supervisor came so in. So you literally wow. pulled an all-nighter for eight hours, repeatedly shoving eggs into this thing and seeing what happens. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I, I was lazy to begin with, so I was doing it all-nighter regardless, because I was horrible at it. But, yeah, it was more a panicked all-nighter than being able to tell... If anyone works in labs, they're very aware that lab technicians are very uh, anal people and very specific about instruments and very much about this is what you do. Do we have lab technicians in the room right oh now? Oh my god, no. Why would you... St- <laughs> 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 it's just you don't work there anymore. <laughs> yeah, actually, I don't. Yeah, bugger. <laughs> uh, and yeah, yeah, telling them that I'd broken their very valuable machine was panicking. Can we get a ballpark cost of what this thing would have been to replace? Oh, man, I, I, I don't have any idea. I'm, what you know what? Yeah, uh, oh, yeah, actually, the real nanotechnologist <laughs> in the room. What was the machine? Yeah. Uh, circular dichroism in the spec. So All right, sort of does like anyone in the room, A, know what that means, <laughs> and B, know what it costs? Let's say under 100 grand. Oh, under 100 oh, grand. Oh, uh, uh, nanotechnologist uh, thinks uh, under 100 grand, so fuck it. <laughs> Just kicked it over and gone to bed. What are you, Callum? What are you playing at, man? Yeah, there's a baker's dozen. We're fine. Yeah. It'll be the lowest rated show on TV. Is all an all lab equipment? The price is right. Oh my god! I don't know. Twenty five bucks. Zero idea. Yeah. The whole never going over thing just blows out real fast. Oh, yeah, like, sure. Million dollars. Thirty five dollars. Shit. So yeah, we did like when we were being sh- when. Uh, Michael Smout was showing us around his lab in Cairns. He was like, oh, here's a, was it like a little protein slide with protein dots on it? And he goes, yeah, this is about 10 grand a slide. I think that's right, yeah. It was, uh, it was either 10, it was either 900 or 9,000. Either way, a lot for this little slide. It was, uh, it was, I'm like, we're like, should we be touching it? It's like, it's, it's used. So you're fine. And then I just started touching other things until he got upset. <laughs> so, he just said it's more afraid of you than you were of it. Yeah. <laughs> That was the thing, like, again, you get that advice about most dangerous animals, and then when we were in the zoo today, they were like, no, they, these things will go for you. <laughs> Welcome to Australia. Our, our host of the zoo was talking about training this crocodile who has been plotting to kill her the entire time she's worked there. Yeah, <laughs> Emma, who will be on the show at some point, um, but, uh, yeah, she's a comic, but also animal trainer and zoologist, and is, she trains the massive crocodile that's down there, and, uh... Yeah, she's like, you, you think you've got a rapport, but really it's basically plotting constantly to try and move you in different ways. And that's what crocodiles do. <laughs> how wise are crocodiles to have plans? Was like, that? How, they, they keep track of your routine, so I guess you have to make sure to change that up so they don't try to, like... Uh, right? Isn't that true? Yes. Okay, I'm not like us. People are nodding. What's yeah. It, 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 three days? Three days? 
if you're camping somewhere, move after three days. Oh, oh move after three right. days if you're camping somewhere. Just we're giving great advice. Also, I found out the whole running yeah. zigzag thing is just going to tire you out before you die. <laughs> <laughs> Don't bother. Just, just run. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's just for Americans. Okay. <laughs> but it works for drop bears, I've heard, right? The drop bears. Yeah. We, we, we already talked about this like, in the Perth show that we recorded a couple of days ago, but god damn you guys commit to the lie. <laughs> like, you really, really do. Like, uh, firstly, we put out this survey that I know some of you in this room filled out to, let, to say, like, what city you're on and your email address, and we, there was a little comments column. And the number of you who wrote something about drop bears. <laughs> and then every time it's been brought up in front of Australians, even in the context of how did this hoax start, you still refuse to admit <laughs> in any way that this is bullshit that you invented to take the piss out of tourists. Like, you have entirely... It's amazing, a whole country can, like, there's no, there's no lie that all of America has, has you know, agreed to perpetrate. <laughs> Possibility of a prosperous future. He is real. Yeah. <laughs> he is both real and dangerous. Is he? It has been. Was that? Is he really? Trump is 100% material. I can validate that as an Australian. He's a real person. He exists. So I think we were, we were in the middle of talking about the lab equipment and you were describing how it works to. Oh, oh, the yeah. goal of the equipment was not to actually unscramble these proteins, it was to do what? Yeah, yeah, so let's, uh, let's expedite this, I'm sorry. No, you uh, know. So, we, we, we have got <laughs> This is, okay, let's ban. Uh, so, again, imagine, like, I'm making an M&M. Uh, I've got a capsule around something and the protein's in the middle. I'm putting it into this machine, I'm expecting nothing to affect the chocolate on the inside, right? That's why the shell's there, it doesn't melt in your hand. Um, and we I should run out the column, left that lab, and now works for Eminem. <laughs> We're sponsoring our next tour. Yes. I thought that was awfully subtle, but no, nope, I'm outed. Um, and clearly it changed. The chocolate melted, the protein folded. So freaked out and finally went to my supervisor and decided that the only logical thing was that this protein was folding. What happened next, I'd like to tell you, was this whole excitement of scientific discovery. Um, I actually slept in the next night and um, a professor from California came in and was actually very well versed in this topic and approached my supervisor and went, oh, are you doing cool stuff? He goes, actually, just recently we've got this cool stuff. Uh, come meet my uh, PhD student that's in the room. And they walked into my office and it was an empty desk. <laughs> and this guy was there for one day. And yeah, uh, well, you know, oh, yeah, it worked out, don't worry. <laughs> Spoiler alert, we heard it before. It turns out what happened was uh, Callum had been folded by the machine. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'd, I'm sure it like, pains you have to admit this, but you are the coolest guy in your lab, it sounds like, right? I mean, you're the guy who's like... Look, I'm going to take that, but I don't think that's real. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to accept it, sure. I think you'll find, Andy, that the coolest guy in the lab is the one who takes size pretty seriously. Oh, okay. <laughs> definitely picturing Val Kilmer in Real Genius. That's not what you find yourself as, no? No. Oh. <laughs> sometimes you sleep in when you've just made a, a massive, a noble-worthy discovery. Well, yeah, I mean, like, even that, like, it was about two years after that before they, like, they, we actually got shit done. Uh, to, actually, am I allowed to swear on this? Yes. Excuse yeah, my French, everyone. Person in the front row. <laughs> um, 
He knew what he was doing. <laughs> um, but yeah, so supervisor sorted that out, and uh, the California professor actually offered me a spot, and a couple months later I was flying to California. Um, we did a whole bunch of tests and worked out that this protein folding was real. It's not a lie. It's not me breaking a machine. We did it on three different machines to make sure. Uh, but actually couldn't get the paper published, which um, I'm sure the thousands of scientists in the room that stuck their hands up will corroborate. Um, just don't fact check anything I say. Um, and it was about the third time applying that we went okay, let's actually just do the gimmick experiment and unboil an egg. And that actually was a last-minute decision that made the paper actually get through. So the original, that, that sounds... Everything we've been told by other scientists guests on the show in the past about how scientific journal work, journals work, that just backs that up completely. <laughs> of like, ah, yeah, this is useful, important science, but it's, ah, we can't... That's not a headline. Can you do something weird or fun? <laughs> Make it catchy. Yeah. Show us how chocolate either cures or kills you. <laughs> it's chocolate it leads. That's the science news mantra. That is, that is the, with it, by the time any story gets to our show, it's filtered through the various filters of has a scientific journal deemed it sufficiently story worthy? Then has a scientific or a newspaper science writer grabbed it and gone. <laughs> Found a way to make a pun in the first line of the article. Yeah. Um, oh my god, actually, on that, so, like, oh shit. <laughs> Ever since, like, the Ig Nobel Prize, yeah, I can say it out loud. Um, everyone's been giving me a whole bunch of punny pickup lines, and the best one I heard was the guy who actually gave me the award, and he goes, so next time you pick up a girl, you ask her, like, how do you like your eggs in the morning? And I was like, oh my god, this is on stage. Like, no one heard it, and it's just me going, I'm fed alive. That's so crazy. I presume the person giving me the award was the King of Sweden, same as the Nobel Prize. Right there. It, it is worth pointing out, though, this is, like, because the Ig Nobel Prize... When you first hear about it, you go, "It's it feels like it's like the Razzies to the Oscars, but it's or the Darwin Awards or something like a really bad thing." That's funny, <laughs> but like, yeah, but it's not. It's all the science that everything that has won an Ig Nobel Prize is something that is useful, genuine science, but just has a quirkiness or an oddness to it. I mean, I, if you could tell my partner, she insists on telling everyone it's the Nobel Prize you don't want to get. <laughs> <laughs> But, no, yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, in terms of application, yeah, I, I'd love to upsell the shit out. Exactly, it's not the Darwin Award. So then, what is the what is the actual ceremony when one is nominated and then receives the Ig Nobel Prize? Oh, man, so the, the, the ceremonies are at Harvard. Yeah, I've been there. Uh, <laughs> it's a big thing for Australia. It's very far away. Um, and walking in, it's almost like a like first day of kindergarten. They genuinely like bring a big rope out, and everyone holds the rope, and they like feed you in. <laughs> yeah, Jenny. really? Straight up. They're like, they... everyone, hold on and be safe. Where are you going? <laughs> Don't walk by yourself. Yeah, like they don't want to no... lose you in there. Yeah. They trust the Nobel Prize winners to walk in alone. But, uh... <laughs> 
the yeah. ignorant ones and like everyone partner up because we know what you people are like yeah, you end up the buddy in a system a lab at midnight with some other piece of food and they're like where is he I go missing while you talk I'm looking up the recent Ig Nobel winners do you remember what was in your class in your, your fellow winners that year oh okay the, okay there are a couple really sexy ones one literally was sex someone worked out there's this uh, I, I can't remember there's this uh, Middle Eastern Duke who famously had something like a billion children. And she did the mathematical equation of how much time he had to be involved in his lifespan fucking to actually produce this many children and worked out his refractory period <laughs> to actually make that like a legitimate thing. So that was pretty cool. I mean, there's so many ways I can poke holes in it right now. But just off the top of my head, it's not as if, like, you, you can divvy up what your body produces, right? Uh, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. And poke holes in it. Yeah, you could... You could even, though, even, though, even though I wasn't going to censor myself, I just censored myself. So. Yeah, right? Uh, I am looking... I, I do know one of the first, or at least when you go to the Wikipedia page, there's one for... Uh, Magnetically levitating a frog back in 2000. That was a big Nobel Prize. Yeah. Wait, what? It's on, it's on Wikipedia. You can't argue with facts. <laughs> so, what, it swallows a bunch of ball bearings and you walk it on a magnet? Like, I, didn't, I, I didn't click through it. I saw the picture of it. I was like, it's floating. No, I, I think oh, the sorry, frog itself, like, if cells in the body have electromagnetism and you don't need to actually. Choke, get it to choke down some magnets or anything. <laughs> Again, if the frog is pure of heart or hearts, do they have hearts? I don't know. Frog biology. So you tell me no frogs are anemic? They're all just nailing it? Uh, oh, come on. <laughs> I, can tell you, I can tell you what the uh, most recent winners are in each category. It has more categories than the Nobel as well. There are more options. So the, Nobel, the Ig Nobel for medicine this year which we did discuss in the show, was people who use roller coaster rides to hasten the passage of kidney stones. Uh, and the anthropology one was collecting evidence in a zoo that chimpanzees imitate humans about as often and as well as humans imitate chimpanzees. <laughs> the other part I get, the well part, seems very subjective. <laughs> well, it was scientifically measured, so... <laughs> Biology was for demonstrating that wine experts can reliably identify by smell the presence of a single fly in a glass of wine. Bullshit. <laughs> I, I kind of call bullshit on that too. I have a small yay friend, and I guess not a job. <laughs> so, I mean, if it's a job, someone will pay you for it. But, you know, it's like uh, psychology. They, they have one. Psychologist and geography. No, I love psychology. Oh, comedian. Yeah, oh, thank you. <laughs> You win. Hey, would someone doing a not proper job be sitting in front of a falling off curtain? <laughs> Talking into two mics, we're going to return tomorrow in a rain drenched shirt. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, okay, the Ignoble for chemistry this year was measuring the degree to which human saliva is a good cleaning agent for dirty surfaces. Wait, is that like just someone licking plates and being like, yeah, that's the same as a dishwasher? That's exactly it. This is your reward, so I don't know why you're going Someone said they brought a fetish into a study. <laughs> Probably their partner. They're like, it's fine, it's for science. Just keep doing it. Um, medical, we definitely discussed this one on the show. Medical education was for the medical report colonoscopy in the sitting position, 
Lessons learned from self-colonoscopy. <laughs> okay, slight tangent on self-colonoscopy. No, not quite. The, the same year, the guy that uh, got an award for uh, measuring pain for bee stings by different regions, and this guy literally just sat in a chair and held a bee and stinged himself in all different places and rated the pain. And the logical conclusion that everyone gets to is like, how much does it hurt when it stings your nuts? And he, yeah, he went through it and had to do scientific repeat for accurate data. I think we covered that story, and I was starting to wonder how doesn't your body at a certain point, like the adrenaline and things, would make you suddenly then either be more or less as you went on. Yeah, and also you get more used to it, and I think also that the you get more. Turn on the toxic, you get into yeah. yeah. Again, this sounds like another weird kink where someone's justified it by going, it's scientific, they gotta bite me on the balls. It's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, like I'm investigating the uh, effects of the window of a bus on my testicle shape. So, uh, you know, this is important geometry work here at no point because I want to just show it to the world. So, uh, Officer. <laughs> I, am, I am skipping through some of these from previous years. There was a... These are all pretty awesome. Like, uh, uh, the medical research study, Why Do Old Men Have Big Ears? <laughs> Which, Don't yeah. your ears and nose continue to grow like at I a faster so. rate than the rest of... I think I mean, one of those urban legends like fingernails growing after death and it's just like the, the cuticles retract instead of fingernails growing. It's one of those 50-50 things that you hear like really wise people going, oh, absolutely. And then other people just logically being like, no, bullshit. But then you look at an old man and you're like, that makes sense. It's, uh, yeah. like, like, what, and a big nose. And you're like, this is what we're all going to be like. Like that or the rest of their head shrinks relative and <laughs> stays at the same size. Um, oh, this is from 2017, and I, wa I want you to actually guess the... I'm going to tell you about the study, and this is kind of appropriate given the country you're in, but also I want... Uh, actually, t two of them. I want you to guess the category they were both in, because both of them have an Australian theme. One of them was an experiment to see how contact with a live crocodile affects a person's <laughs> willingness to gamble. <laughs> Any idea for what category that won the 2017 Nobel Prize? Tell me about risk. It was, well, risk which might come under the Mathematics? Economics. <laughs> no, right. yeah. that was the economics one. And Wait, then, is, um, the, is, the, is the crop bankrolling you? It might stay at the table longer. Yeah, is he paying taxes? Is this, like, how are we getting economics into crocodiles? I don't know, it's like risk. Risk of well, gambling, that's money. Um, and then um, this one, for demonstrating that regular playing of a didgeridoo is an effective treatment for obstructive sleep apnea and snoring. Wow. Psychology. That's really interesting. It was not psychology. Uh, I mean, just physiology? Is yeah, it, it, was not, it was not awarded in the physiology or medicine oh, category. Music. Nope. Um, I'll give you the answer. Relationship counseling. Peace. <laughs> <laughs> It was the 2017 Peace Prize. <laughs> well done, Ig Nobel people. Solid. <laughs> Does the digital do work? Because I just need any solution at this point. No snoring helps you have peace. No, I know. I snore horribly. I need to figure something out. Yeah. So here we go. I found you. You were 2015, and I found your class, your your year. So that was the uh, 
physics one, weirdly, was, uh, I don't know why I think physics, but for testing the biological principle that nearly all mammals empty their bladders in about 21 seconds. Oh, yeah. Okay. Plus or minus 13 seconds. Which is quite on my brain. After this... Nearly everyone dies at the age of 50, or sometimes 25 and sometimes 75, so... After this happened, my housemate and I, who actually started doing like a road trip to actually get here, um, started measuring our like pee every time. But because it was a competition of who could have the longest, it meant it was sort of like a drug test. That, like the two of us had to watch each other pee and time each other for like a good three months. I, I absolutely remember that. Okay. I'm okay. Okay. this one, Jen. Right? Isn't a name of science? Both scientists here, and this is why we need to both time and watch and measure each other's pee. Uh, I think everyone should own a stethoscope and a lab coat just to legitimize any kind of issue at any time. Like, I'm a professional here. Uh, the literature award your year was the discovery that the word huh, or its equivalent, seems to exist in every human language, and for not being quite sure why. Huh. <laughs> no, but management was for discovering that many business leaders developed in childhood a fondness for risk-taking when they experienced natural disasters such as earthquakes, volcanic eruptions, tsunamis, and wildfires that, for them, had no dire personal consequences. Oh, that's cool. So, is that just feeding into the serial killer thing about CEOs? Like, like oh, I'm all about like, like risk as long as there's no consequences for me. Did Bill Gates narrowly escape Nazi Helens or something? <laughs> Yeah, uh, the timing's right on that. What you need to do is start, like, you know, if you want the, this guy to be a success, start, start tornado tracking or finding out about any dangerous weather condition, yeah. then shove him in the middle of it and hope for the best. Yeah, we'll fight for five years. Yeah. Young man, are you a fan of Helen Hunt? I'm a fan of Helen Hunt. So, economics your year was the, uh, the Bangkok Metropolitan Police were offering to play, pay policemen extra cash if the policemen refused to take bribes. <laughs> uh, they bribe them to not be bribed. That is remarkable work. Medicine was two different groups for experiments to study the biomedical benefits or biomedical consequences of intense kissing. Jen, once again, Thank you. in the name of science, your, we have to do this. <laughs> your theory is very much holding up. You can use your egg pickup line. I, I really think it's appropriate. No, it's disgusting. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, here we go. Yeah, mathematic theory. It was Mule Ishmael the Bloodthirsty, who was the Shafirian Shif- Emperor of Morocco, who managed between 1697 and 1727 to father 888 children. That's also fewer years than I'd expect. So he was only he only had 30 years of activity. How many children? 888. Far less than the 1 billion that I said earlier. <laughs> <laughs> I assume you were exaggerating for effect then, but uh, you never. Know, well, he's, I don't know how many. That's not, that's not that crazy. I mean, for oh my God. I'm just doing, the, I'm doing okay. the numbers. No, I'm doing the numbers on like the refractory period part of it. You're not bringing them up. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah, not crazy. Yeah, you... Okay, 830 years, you said? Yeah, I presume he's a nuts and go kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> a one pump chum. Yeah. 
I mean, maybe he just has the. He's a, he maybe had them just lined up. He's an emperor. I don't know how emperors work back in those days. I think that's only two per month. That's not that. I mean, yeah. I, yeah, not from like a moral standpoint, but from like <laughs> the, the body recovering its uh, essentials to go back. Two weeks is not. not yeah. I just did the math. Do so I get the award? It's every two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> you had your big Men have to be fertile? No, the woman has to be fertile. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, like the yeah, it's, it's, yeah, not the same, it's not the same woman, guys. Shout out to the point guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 but he's making, a, he's making a fair point in that only a small proportion of, of the total number of 30 years worth of nuts <laughs> is going to result in a... To, yeah, to result is going to result in a child. So you, you've got to assume, unless he's, like, doing some kind of... Track, fertility yeah. tracking and actively trying to which I don't think they A had that technology well, back then yeah. or B had that desire I think. but if it was all consensual then there's a better That's chance it's a but I'm saying if it was consensual the chances of them being fertile is probably higher because I mean women but no I, I, the, right? the, I mean no, I, I, I get the point alright I get the point you're making is that you're saying it's basically once every a fragile period of two weeks but he's not because he's probably coming Many times in between that. Like every every two weeks, one of his bonings <laughs> ends in a child. Right. Although, we, although we're ignoring like twins and triplets. But let, let's well, assume roughly this is every. the most dig up <laughs> Let's posit a world where he is the most benevolent, beloved leader in his country. So women are fighting. No, hear me out. And, and, and then, and then tear down the science of this because maybe this is completely unfounded. But like, is there no version of any human study of this that thinks that women are actually more actively seeking partners when they're in? Uh, it, it may have been actually intentional. I mean, we know about fertility. It's been yeah. seen for you know Catholics use the yeah. cycle method. So that's true. So you could. So there's. A, yeah. So but even but even with that, even if every single one of those women was at at or near peak fertility. That still wouldn't always result in pregnancy, yeah, and that also yeah. still wouldn't result in success in pregnancy that goes to term. Yeah. Uh, particularly back in those days, so you've got to assume there's probably at least twice that number of pregnancies, and probably four to five times that number of nuttings. It's not every. I love that he's verbing that. <laughs> <laughs> he may have already been pregnant, and he's still uh, gone back. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point as well. Yeah, he could be wasting sperm <laughs> on a previously successfully nutted woman. So. A nutted woman. <laughs> you know that thing, like, what was it with CEOs, like, exposing them to trauma? That's like, you're doing a great job, sir. <laughs> Your kid's going to be just fine. A nutted woman. <laughs> probably. I don't know if he has heard words in the playground. Like, uh, I mean, he's probably heard worse language, but I don't think he's heard something quite as specific. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Or as dare I say, mathematically accurate. <laughs> I do love that you're stepping in the shoes of Jesse Case right now. Like, I can feel him channeling you from Nashville, Tennessee right now, by throwing in the verb not as many times as possible. <laughs> Alright, so your bi- your, the bi- biology fellow uh, ignoble alum in your year, observed that when you attach the weighted stick to the rear end of a chicken, 
The chicken then walks in a manner similar to that in which dinosaurs are thought to have walked. That's really polite. The weighted stick was a plunger. And, like, the video that they put up on screen is just a chicken with a plunger on its butt. It is. And no one quite got it on the night. So the guys sort of just hunched over and recreated it. And it's a surreal moment that there's this chicken with a plunger just walking on screen while... Literally, a doctor is hunched over doing the same and going, okay, I believe your research. Did anybody say clever girl? (laughs) Wasted opportunity. Um, Diagnostic medicine, where someone determined or people determined that acute appendicitis can be accurately diagnosed by the amount of pain evidence when the patient is driven over speed bumps. <laughs> this is an actual thing now. Like, where, sorry, I, I went to the dark side in, in research and started studying medicine recently, and that's an actual thing. They ask you now, like, at emergency, like, did you drive over a speed bump on your way in? Was it the worst thing ever? And if you didn't, some people are real dicks and ask you to jump up and down to recreate it. But yeah, that's now a, like in every emergency moment. Wow. So again, that does go to show that the ignobles sound ludicrous but genuinely are. And Doctor this. And Doctor. point. So physiology and entomology. Here we go, this is the one that we discussed. Awarded jointly to two individuals, Justin Smith for painstakingly creating the Schmidt Sting Pain Index when rating the relative pain people feel when stung by various insects, (laughs) and to Michael Smith for carefully arranging for honeybees to sting him repeatedly on 25 locations on his body to learn which locations are the least painful, which are the skull, the middle toe tip, and the upper arm, and which are the most painful... The nostril, the upper lip, and the penis shaft. <laughs> <laughs> was that that? I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I said it was a, it was a, it was a penis shaft. It was a shaft of the penis. I'm not sure whether it was on the night or like drinks after, but I'm not sure who's who, but the, the guy who actually gets stung on the dick um, was like a freshman college student and so had to find somewhere, because he lived on campus, had to find somewhere on campus to get stung by this. And when he's doing his, like, dick sting repeats, college police drive past, and he's got his pants at his ankles, holding a bee, and he's already been stung and trying to not make it look like he's just relieved himself because he's like, ha, whoa, ha. The way, if anyone can shout out on Instagram, and he, the story's incredible. Uh, there should be some kind of card you get that's like proving to a cop as much arrest you you're also an undercover cop and yeah. it's like science yeah. just pull it out <laughs> I still want to know why did he do this in their lab <laughs> like it's like the only place we can do this is in the park <laughs> yeah. in the... you know I never crossed my mind the only place is behind a bush <laughs> really I sort of imagined him sitting in a lab, so it's kind of weird. It's like, yes, I... It's 30 people his watching you. Uh, yeah. Justin, go to your science bush. <laughs> put the bee, bee on your dick. <laughs> and then he has to tell the police officer, like, 
I know this looks like I was either pissing or jerking off, but actually I was just getting this beat to sting me on the dick. So don't go thinking it was weird or anything. I was just. It's legal in Queensland. <laughs> Only Queensland. Yeah, let's make fun of for the American listeners. I, I assume now Queensland is the butt of every joke. Oh, like yeah. the way that Florida It's the Florida. One hour and ten years behind. So Queensland and Tanzania are the Floridas of Australia, and Australia is already the Florida of the world. So that's saying something. That's like a meta Florida. <laughs> Um, that is the most sciencey response to a joke. Someone just said, that is very funny. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, scientist. I have evaluated your statement. <laughs> According to this funniness scale that I have created with the aid of a bee and my penis. <laughs> it would have looked mostly like he was just trying to fuck a bee. <laughs> Like, if you caught him in the act, you go, like, you are trying and failing to fuck a bee. Like, surely that is what's happening. That swelling, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 that was good. Wait, did the same person who said my joke was good just say his own joke was good? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, yeah, that's negating the scientific validity of that statement. Uh, there, there is a story that someone sent in this week that, by the way how, I know there's people in this oh, yeah. how many people here have sent in stories in the past it's Justin Broad is this Justin Broad you are the most prolific science story sender I'm sorry we haven't got a chance to meet in person yet we've been we're scared of stalking no no no, no. <laughs> we have the absolute nicest fans um, what, what, is, what, what drove you to send I'm guessing in the hundreds of emails over the last seven years. Uh, well, finding them and then you saying, and Justin Broad sent this in, and I went, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> That's positive feedback. That's on you. <laughs> it must be nice. We don't have, yeah, just, yeah. We don't have yeah, destruction yeah. lane in the audience tonight, do we? Destruction lane, frequent dark. No, I think that's Brisbane. Brisbane, okay. Okay. About that, but I think that's, I think, I think that's coming up. We're meeting that person. He's of the Brisbane lanes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there is a, there is a story that was sent in. This has the vibe of a future ignoble win, I think. Scientist crazy experiment possible actually works on mosquitoes. It involved drugs. So, uh, I'm going to skip the beginning so of the story. So millennials are reading this article every single day. Yeah. In a paper published Thursday in the journal Cell, uh, Leslie Fossil, and her, who's a neurobiologist at Rockefeller University, and her team, uh, who's hoping to control mosquitoes as one of the diseases they carry by switching off their appetite, demonstrated how human diet drugs satiate mosquitoes' bloodlust for several days so they are less likely to feed on humans and spread diseases and will also produce fewer offspring. And it makes them look amazing. <laughs> are these like the diet drugs that like bikies take that are just like pet pills and stuff? Like? Yeah, I think they're basically most diet drugs are basically amphetamines. Yeah. So I have one you can look up. I think they just discovered that Viagra is protective against malaria. Viagra is protective against malaria, although it does give a larger target area to be. Mosquito-centric trip so far. I, mean, you, I guess it's. Uh, I don't want to repeat things for the at-home listener, but you don't know that our first stop here was in Cairns, and we were whisked away straight from the airport to a place where people get stung by mosquitoes all day long by the thousands, and they even pay undergrads at this school 
$20 to sit in this room full of 10,000 mosquitoes and be stung for 20 minutes, which is not enough money for me. Yeah, it's, like a, it's like a simulation. They've got a room that is a sort of kept at the right level of heat and humidity, and it's a simulation of like a, just a back patio in Cairns. And then the students get to hang out and listen to music and play cards and be attacked by mosquitoes. And then they get a $20 voucher. So that seems worth it. So, according to this article, according to Mosfall, when, they are, when they're hungry, the mosquitoes are super motivated. They fly towards the scent of a human, the same way we might approach a chocolate cake. But after they were given the drug, they lost interest. The method that taps into female mosquitoes' natural gluttony. Each supersized meal provides enough nutrients to support a typical clutch of around 100 eggs. After she's eaten, the mosquito loses her appetite for at least four days while her eggs develop. But as soon as a mosquito lays the eggs in a pool of stagnant water, she's off again in search of a mate and a meal. A female mosquito can breed several times in her lifetime of six to eight weeks. Uh, Andy, how many, uh... <laughs> <laughs> you know I know about their gradual period of, of mosquitoes. And I know about their, uh, you know, various eating disorders. It's a shame. Like, I've heard some of the mosquitoes say, you know, don't, don't suck that blood. A moment on the lips, a lifetime of the cephalothorax. Uh, I don't know if they have cephalothorax. It's just so much. Uh... So that makes her a, a reliable vessel for spreading disease. Fossil and the team set out to identify and manipulate the hormone pathways responsible for this behavior because similar pathways for hunger are found in many animals. That is, they have similar evolutionary roots. She started off with the shelf human diet drugs. Uh, and she, she describes it as, On a lark, we thought, let's go for it. Let's do the craziest experiment possible and get some human diet drugs and see if they work on mosquitoes. I think we've already established in the previous... 20 minutes that this is not the craziest experiment possible. <laughs> but uh, it's surprising it works so well. In, in a series of lab experiments, uh, Aedes aegypti mosquitoes, which spread dengue, yellow fever, and Zika, which are the Those ones the we ones were hanging out with in Cairns, were fed these diet drugs by mixing them into a chemical solution that also contained ATP, a molecule found inside most animal cells that mosquitoes find irresistible. The diet drugs come in powder form. For several days after drinking the solution, the mosquitoes show little interest when offered the bare arms of human volunteers. Even... Oh, we're super focused. Yeah. Even, and if you can believe this, people, even the smell of dirty nylon stockings saturated with human scent was not enough to tempt them. And we all know that there's nothing a mosquito does more than the smell of saturated nylon stocking. You gotta pay a lot of money for that meat. I've got a good eBay business going on right now. Side hustle? Sure. Everyone's got five hustles in LA. Yeah. After testing human diet drugs, the team honed in on the specific receptors that these drugs activate inside the mosquito brain. Then they could search through a general catalogue of more than 265,000 chemicals to find a new suite of drugs that also activate this receptor, but control only the appetite of mosquitoes and similar biting insects. Uh, Fossil says, Human drugs are owned by pharmaceutical companies, and so we wanted to find something where the intellectual property wasn't locked up. That's important in developing countries for deployment. Uh, and for obvious reasons, widely, widely releasing human diet drugs into the environment is not a good idea. <laughs> if you guys know anything about insects, I, do mosquitoes eat blood, or do they eat other stuff? Like, is blood like, they, just they something don't... they do on the weekends? Like, what, what? No, 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 that's, that's their main thing. Like, the person we met in Cairns, he also volunteers to just stick his arm into these buck dorms and let himself get stung 
to defeat to feed them. He says, "Yeah, it's not. It's not a stick. Yeah. It's in this in this article. It says that earlier on they actually double their body weight with each meal of blood. That's how much blood they can carry. They swell to the point that they can barely fly." Oh, yeah, that reminds me. I did try one of those childhood experiments that you assume were bullshit. Like, you know, pop rocks and coke makes your stomach explode. Um, <laughs> have you guys ever heard if you yeah. if you get stung by a mosquito and you don't swat it, but you pinch the skin around it, that it'll, it can't get out, and then it'll fill so full of blood that it'll explode? And I, I, I'd heard that as a kid. I successfully did it, and it couldn't leave, and it got fuller and fuller until its, its abdomen was so full, it was translucent, and it was just bulbous and red with my blood. But then nothing, it just reached the point of, like, why would I have enough blood pressure to actually make it explode? <laughs> so then I let go, and then it just sank to the ground. It was <laughs> too heavy with my blood to fly away, and I just... <laughs> so that was my six-year-old mosquito, or mozzie experiment. You guys have to abbreviate it. Right here, it goes all contemporary, well done. <laughs> that's, that's wild. I was always told that if you pinch away from it, it gets stuck in, like it can't pull its... Like, it couldn't pull out, but it also like the, there wasn't enough pressure to actually make it explode. It just couldn't stop filling itself until. Did you try and like pump up your blood pressure a bit by jogging yeah. on the spot with a pinch? <laughs> but presumably, like the pressure inside of it ended up matching, the, you know, some kind of PV over T was PV over T thing. And uh, yeah, yeah, is that I, something? I, something that's yeah, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, something. Can you drink hot coffee then? If I, what would, drinking hot coffee would do what for increase that? Increase your temperature. Oh yeah, and that would increase the pressure. I don't know. Yeah, either way, Mosquito's dead now, so like, that's, uh, that's the important thing. To be fair, by now it would have died of old age. <laughs> <laughs> so we've, we've figured out a way now to keep mosquitoes, if we could get them all on this diet drug, they would stop biting people, stop feeding off people and potentially cure malaria, is that true? Uh, yeah, so uh, they, uh, that's the idea, or at least that's how I think... I, I feel like when it comes to malaria and mosquitoes, there's just as many different things they can try at the same time as possible. So I know one of the easiest things is just training up communities to get rid of any stagnant water. Because they lay their eggs in stagnant water. So any like puddles, even if you see like a can that has some water in the bottom of it, like tip that can over or throw it away or whatever. So this could work, but also the the study that we found in Cairns could also has been affected against malaria, correct? The the bacteria they've introduced into those mosquitoes that cures dengue fever or yes, stops its transmission, I think also, and, and Zika, was it not effective against malaria too? Yep, yep, that's, that's all the things, potential insecticides, gene drives, and bacterial infection is the thing that they were talking about yes. they were trying. So listen back to, by the time you're hearing this, that should already be out in some form, or they're doing good stuff up there in Queensland. They're not all, you know, <laughs> they're not all, I don't know, what's, what's the stereotype of Queensland? Chase Sound. What do they do? Banana benders. They call it beer forex because they can't spell beer. Kangaroo <laughs> <laughs> republic. Nice. They call their beer forex. What kind of banana benders? You just shouted out. That's that very problematic. They have to bend the bananas. <laughs> they were originally straight. Okay. Daylight savings will. Uh, Hang on. Wait a second. Wait. I want to. I'm not moving on from this banana bender nonsense. <laughs> One year, ten days. So. <laughs> The logic there is that, like... So the logic is that the bananas were once straight, and the Queensland people bent them into a bent shape, but surely they're the ones who told you that, and you believe that. So, <laughs> so who's the idiots now, Sydney? <laughs> I always thought they were straight, and then the drop bears landed on them, and they got the best shape from... Yeah. I do want to find out a bit more about, like, I, I do... We've simply got a little bit of time left. Well, let... 
you never finished telling the story of uh, firstly, so the egg we got way off because we started sorry, to very tangential. Yeah, but um, so the egg unboiling, the way it works. Because I saw it, I saw a video of this. So it does actually when it's finished. You start off with the egg white, and it looks like uncooked egg whites. Then you cook it, and you put it through your process, and it's clear again and looks like uncooked. And then you can recook it again. Can that process happen any number of times indefinitely? Like- Absolutely. Uh, so, uh, so uh, my partner reduced my five-year PhD into you weed on eggs and then spun them, and that was it. Uh, Do you weed on eggs? Yeah. So, so the process we crack out the egg, then we fry it on a hot plate. And then we put a little bit of what we call urea, uh, which is you know, urine. Uh, and that just relaxes it all. And we put it in this very special machine that's sort of like a washing machine on an angle. And it spins it out and it separates out the protein. And it separates out the protein so that it unfolds. And the idea is that when you stop that, it goes back into its most energetically favorable shape, which should be its normal shape. So that's the idea. Normal shape meaning meaning transparent or translucent. Oh, well, so, so native shape. So so the, the the way that it started. So it goes transparent again. Okay. So you go from a clear egg that we crack into a, a hot plate. It goes hard. We put that into water and uh, spin it through, and it comes out clear again. And we literally pour it onto a hot plate and refry it. And are you able to get the egg and the yolk, the white and the yolk? Back together in the right positions, <laughs> and, and so reform the shell. Like how, and then shove it back in a chicken. Like how far, how far back in this process can you go? And does that make the chicken walk strangely? <laughs> Reconstituted chicken, like chicken nuggets. Um, what? So yeah, we did cheat a little bit in saying that your unboiling egg, like asterisk, just the white. Uh, that, yeah, the yolk's a little complex because there's a bucket load in it. Um, but in, in, in saying that, you could do pretty much all of it. So we took it to its extreme, frying it, well, boiling it, uh, unboiling it, and over and over, and we didn't reach a limit. It just it kept going. And, and the actual mechanism that denatured it, is that the word for getting it back to its... Oh, so that's, 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 that's buggering it up. So like, you fry an egg, you denature it. Okay, it goes hard for shit. And I didn't realize that folded is actually the not cooked state. Well, so, so, so what happens, proteins do everything in your body. They're the building block, they're the scaffolding for your body. And uh, normally in your body, there's little proteins that direct protein. So they fold it. Right. But... Chemists direct folding with heat and acid and stuff like this. No one's been able to recreate that little molecule that folds it inside a cell normally. And that's what we were trying to do. We were trying to recreate that cell's actually normal folding mechanism. And and we got reasonably close. And the actual mechanism was purely mechanical. It was purely mechanical energy. That's that's the big thing. So previously everything's been... uh, Chemical with acids and bases, or, or thermal with heat. This was just spinning it on an angled centrifuge, sort of. Yeah, we just weed it and and spin it. That's like Queensland. Actually, what is so the machine? There's at least one Queenslander in this room right now who's like, "What the fuck? Thank you, thank you. Don't you take that from them." 
made stupid Sydney silence. Where are from New Zealand? So oh, you yeah. know. Oh, 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 oh. Well, you know Sydney silence is a bad name. <laughs> wow, we've got to get out to New Zealand at some point. Yes. I do. <laughs> uh, I do, I do want to. We, we have to wrap up soonish, but I do want to find out a bit more about because there's so many scientists in this room who do. Like, I want to find out what the various fields of research are of the rest of you because we've got a. We've got a nanotoxicologist over there. A cosmic radiologist? Is that, not radiologist. What's that? Cosmic ray astronomer. Cosmic ray astronomer. Cosmic ray astronomer. Okay, cool. And then a uh, psychologist uh, doing great work. I'm sorry. I take it all back. What is your, your subfield within psychology? Trauma and disaster. Trauma and disaster. Okay, so we can't even have fun with that. And who else towards the back? I saw other hands when he asked about scientists earlier. I also put before we move oh. to the, further to the back of the room, the cosmic radio, cosmic ray astronomy. Are you a are you a theoretician or are you a theorist or are you a experimentalist? So what what experiment are you working on at the moment? Nothing at the moment. Nothing at the moment. Good stuff. All right. <laughs> what what was the previous experiment? Um, it was. Uh, Sorry, I didn't mean to put you on the stop sign. Energies of cosmic rays reaching the earth. According to a specific model. Energies of cosmic rays reaching the Earth according to a specific model. And just working out what the curves were going to look like and basically automating the decision that was made as to what field attached to the energy spectrum. Okay. And it's important to figure out on the electromagnetic spectrum like which subsections will create a Hulk and which won't, right? But it's only <laughs> gamma and above. Is Hulk. Is that correct? Okay. Yeah, but you're just measuring that after the fact you're not trying to create Hulks. <laughs> just to be clear. This, yeah, we're not trying to like de un undenature the Hulks. <laughs> oh, that's how you get the red Hulk. You know what I mean? Yeah. The abomination is from that. Yeah. Alright, so scientists further at the back of the room, what else have we got going on? Uh, marine we, biologist. Oh, marine biologist. Oh, we've met of all scientists. <laughs> we've met a few marine biologists on this trip, even. And a friend of the show, Forrest Shore, is a marine biologist. Was on the show a while back. He's coming through Sydney, so you should go and see him do stand up. He's a he was a manatee expert. We can tease. We can answer. There isn't really much expertise with manatees. You just sort of count them where they are, as far as I can tell. But <laughs> <laughs> occasionally. Which the amount of storm drains. Yeah, it's kind of like being an expert on roommates or something. It's like, yeah, he's on the couch. That's, yeah, that's there it is. Uh, what, what, what's your, what were you specifically, or what do you specifically study? Marine turtles. Marine turtles. We saw a couple of those this trip already. We do. How? Uh, I, they only really tend to make the news these days when there's straws in their nose. But that's uh, oh, that's something just made everyone sad. I don't know why. I, oh. All right, so marine biologists at the back of the room. What else have we got going on? I do environmental science, but I work for a supermarket. Okay. <laughs> you do environmental science, but you work for a supermarket. I study environmental science. Oh, but you work for a supermarket. Okay, you're not like a supermarket on cool environmental scientist. Like, how much are we fucking up things right now? I wanna... We have been out three. If they ever ask me, I'll be told. But... You're like, guys, we really shouldn't be ordering these oranges from Spain because. You get them from California. Oh, really? You get Californian oranges. Why do you grow shit in like in like Australia? Gross. Not during the middle of winter. Oh yeah, not yet. That is a thing now, isn't it? There's no winter. Like, yeah, winter. Is <laughs> yeah, probably so. You guys, you guys have winter here in Australia? I didn't do my research before coming here. But is winter a thing? You guys have fruit. 
fruits. Is fruits a thing that you guys do? So yeah, actually we can tease our show that's coming up on the 14th. Um, if any of you happen to live in Melbourne and flew out for this, <laughs> where you have a marine biologist who specializes in the, the love lives of marine animals, uh, especially for Valentine's Day, so that's coming up. Aww. So that anyone who doesn't have a date can find out how to fuck a fish. <laughs> So is there anybody else we haven't touched on in the audience who uh, has a field that they're not worried about me making fun of? I won't. I like all sciences. Computer science? Computer science. What kind? Uh, it's something done in networks. Computer science. All right. That's solid. Respect that. Do you still, do you still work in computer science? Kind of. I actually work for a company called Arnet, which is the company that connects all the universities in Australia together. You were for it, he was, uh, that didn't get picked up in the mic. Where's for a company called Arnet that connects all the universities together in, in Australia? And the hospitals. And hospitals. And CSIRO sites, Square Kilometer Array. And what, what sites? CSIRO. Uh, what, what is that? They invented Wi Fi. These guys are. Wait, Australia invented Wi Fi? Oh, yeah, we totally did. We'll claim the shit out of that. Why is your internet so shit now? This is a genuine mystery we've been trying to solve. I'm sorry, is there a real reason? Yes, politics. No, yes. politics, right? It really is politics. You say that's like America, lack of infrastructure spending. Yeah, yeah, because you say distance, but like Singapore is not the. It's quite away from America, but has ridiculous. Singapore is the size of Rockness. You guys were there. And it has some kilometers across. Yeah, but it also has some of the fastest internet. It's tiny. Yeah, I mean, you know, getting from like city to city, they can have big pipes, and it's still getting. Singapore's one city. What are you talking about? Okay, still getting signals from America. All right, hang on. That's just. And I was on your side earlier. Matt's theory when we first got here and or the first place we stayed was getting like one megabit per second and Matt was like, well it's just the one the one pipe that's like going on underneath the Pacific and maybe there's like a fish that's been gnawing on it or something. No, there is yeah, only like, one or two pipes that all go into St. Leonard's. There's only one or two pipes that all go into where? St. Leonard's, just north of Sydney. Yeah, there's coming north of Sydney up here. So that's like the main port yes. where signals yes. come in and then get unloaded slowly by humans, I presume, given the speed. So, to, so I want to find out what. So, so Wi-Fi was developed in Sydney. Sorry, in Australia. FM radio and fridges, I think. And FM radio and fridges. Yeah, and plastic bangers. I know you guys have the fanciest money I've ever seen. Yeah, you guys have half transparent. Um, they just haven't worked out equality respecting the original people like New Zealand has. Oh, Alright, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We we don't even know what these fights are. We're just bystanders to the audience turning on themselves. Yeah, they started off so harmonious, and now we're like, oh fans are lovely, and by the end they're like, okay. One woman from Queensland fighting the entire room. 
while a group of New Zealanders get ready to pile in. If someone is doing the haka in the back of the room as we speak, I should mention it. Uh, so politics, you're saying, is the reason it's slow and it could yeah, be fixed. Let's get on that Australia because, like, I, we, do you want more podcasters to come over here? We should be able to upload episodes. I'm just saying, it's a small part of the process, but... Uh, Maybe that's also why podcasts are really popular here, because, you know, you've just got to download shit when you can, and then... Maybe it's slow. Like, might be something to do with it, honestly, because, like, Australia, Australia does seem to have a disproportionate number of podcast listeners. And we have a disproportionate number of listeners to our show in Australia, but that's also because we've got Anderson. But, uh, <laughs> most exclusively, he's the reason why we can fill up room in Sydney. But, uh, I'm pretty sure it has something to do with my spot on accents, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, Andy is very, very good at his oh, yeah. version of an Australian accent. No has five vowels in it here, right? <laughs> That's all I have. Yeah. And also the whole thing we told us in this talk over the end. The sins and then at the end it becomes a question. It's like everything is like that, but then maybe you want to ask anybody? Sorry. It's true, right? You guys are all up talkers. It's a nation of up talkers. I love it. I love it. Um, <laughs> okay, up talkers sounds like a really bad put down, like oh, a bunch of up talkers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sounds like most people who yeah. like, say things and they go, with you? I'm stuck. I'm stuck. Okay. Okay, Matt brought up the. Uh... Well, I was trying to wrap things up a second ago because we're already over time, but fuck it, let's keep this thing going. <laughs> Does anyone have any questions? <laughs> I just like to say thanks for coming. Oh, thank you. Thank you for coming. Can we say to you thank you for coming? We normally do the podcast, <laughs> so, actually, it would have just been like a normal episode, except we spent a lot of money on a flight to do it. <laughs> so, thank you, thank you to, uh, for coming out. Also, oh, oh, thank you to Kylie on the door as well and Brunt for helping us. And let's hear one more time for the Australian Society for Parasitology and Inspiring Australia. They made this entire thing happen, so that's yeah. amazing. And in fact, the fact that we're telling dick jokes and it's for public good is incredible. So. Uh, Jen, where can our listeners find out more about you and everything you do? On Facebook at Jen Carnavali, which no one can spell, but that's fine. Or um, I have a website, which is jencarnavali.com. People can, can spell that. Interpretations have been beautiful my whole life. But if you type, like, because I find that I've got a name that no, last name that no one can spell, but it's yeah. also a weird name and there aren't that many people with it. So if you just type, like, English comedian Matt K I and then bang the keyboard. Yeah, it's kind of the same. It's yeah. like kind of early. There's not that many of us. Like, if you get anything vaguely close to it, Google's pretty good at going. Yes. Yeah. It's probably who you meant. Exactly. It's me or a small village in Calabria. So it's one or the other. You'll be fine. Like, it's, you know. Has that small village ever got some of your bookings by mistake? You know what? They're so supportive. They write on my little page going, like, yeah, my cousin. You know, because they're my fifth cousins and so they're always like like it whenever I like today I'll be like oh I'm gonna hang out and I'm so excited to talk about this and they're like wish I could come like it well you can get on a plane and still on make it here in three days you'll still be late but let's do it like 
Like they're really How loving. Where is this place? It's just the south of Italy. My dad's oh, from there. Italy. Oh, okay. But they, none of them speak English. They're all incredibly supportive, and they are all connected, like through third or fourth cousins, and they just like and share everything to their family and friends in the village in Italy. So they're going to see that this is happening, which is great. It's great. You should. You, you gig in Europe from time to time. We first met in Scotland. I'm not going to gig in Stila. That's not going to happen. Oh, you should. No, because everybody's like, Frankie's daughter, and it's not good. It's not good. It's not the same as this. This is nice. I don't want to do that. So, yeah, two options, me or a village. So it's hard, not too hard to find. Callum, where can listeners find you and things you do? Oh, holy dooly. Uh, I, I'm not particularly active online. Um, if you want to look me up, uh, I'm at InstaHormond on uh, Instagram. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm actually trying to get a podcast off the ground through bullying my uh, partner uh, with... Uh, so, at Eamon Lousy, if you want to hear this podcast, it's called Two Rangers in the Sun. So... <laughs> <laughs> Australia redhead gentlemen are called rangers, orangutans. And um, you know, the podcast is that we each tell a story to each other as two redhead gents in the sun, and it takes as long as it takes for us to get sunburnt. So <laughs> we prepare a full script, and depending on whether it's summer or winter, it could be a short story or a long story. <laughs> but it's, it's dependent on weather. So, yeah. uh, so if you at Eamon Lousy bully him into saying yes to getting that off the ground. So. And also we'll get to your TEDx talk explaining in more detail the egg. Oh, yes, please. I'm all about that count. Thank you. <laughs> so check the show notes for that. And thank you both so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, stick around. We'll be happy to drink. Uh, thank you so much for coming out. I'm blown away that you made me came out. Thank you, and thank you again so much, Jenna Khan, for joining us up here. Thank so, you. Cheers, guys. Yeah.